What's up, everybody, and welcome back. Thank you for joining us here on the Boom Sports Network for another episode of Boots to Balls. We are all warmed up, stretched up, some of us even dressed out, ready to outkick Louisiana sports coverage with you. For all of our first-timers, one, welcome. Two, thank you. Three, my name is David Storm Manning. I am the PA announcer game day host for your New Orleans Woo, That sounded a little better than it actually did in the dome this past Sunday. Finally, finally getting over the flu voice, which is, by the way, has nothing to do with why we are uh, not in the capital city in our location today. That's just a logistical issue. Uh, Not a big deal. Joining me, as always, my partner in crime, my co-host, the Don Ronald himself, Donald Dunn. Hello, everybody. We walk together in this uh, weekend from a a rough college football weekend for the majority of you out there in Louisiana. It was not the time we were hoping it to be, but it was a time nevertheless, and we have to talk about it. Indeed. And we shall. And of course, joining us always for uh, the fullest extent of the show when we do these live kinds of things, the one and only, the hottest of takers, Producer Brett. What's up, Producer Brett? How are you? Uh, well, it would have been better if the refs weren't paid a lot of money by broadcasters and possibly saving this weekend, but I'm doing as good as I can do. I can neither confirm nor deny that the refs were paid off. I did this weekend that we are in the wrong line of business, and we should all be refs for the SEC and exclusively do Bama games. I've already got my resume. I don't, actually. But it's not a, it is not a bad thought. Uh, usually, very early on, we keep things out to the comments uh, to shout out to you guys. Uh, the last couple of times, we have uh, we've actually done those uh, during the show because things have, have been live. So, if you guys have any comments or predictions as we get along later in the program, please let us know, and we will uh, we will do our best to shout you out. We actually do have some listener predictions for the games that we called last week, and we'll see how they did when we look back a little bit later on in the program. All right, Donald, we got to talk about it. The elephant in the room? Can you start? Would you like to address the elephant that no longer needs to be in the room, but for some whatever reason still is? Okay. Go right ahead. The floor is yours. I'm probably going to regret that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be honest with our audience. And I know the internet is forever, but Donald was to the left of me on that game. I was. However, I was very placid. Um, I was drinking a lot during that game, as many LSU fans do during LSU games. And I thought about it in the morning, Sunday, when I was fighting my hangover. And I was like, were the refs really that bad? Or was I just a drunken, belligerent fan being like, no refs? So I decided, I'm gonna, I hate myself, so I'm going to rewatch that game. Okay. And I rewatched it in its entirety twice. I'm sorry. Um, and there's a lot of things I noticed. Uh, for starters, everyone talks about the big targeting call that Brian Kelly brought up, or should I say lack of targeting call that mm. Brian Kelly brought up that um, it's been memed everywhere. 
But talking about that hit that Dallas Turner put on Jaden Daniels. I took some notes here. There were, if you go back in the game, and I'll post on our, if you'll allow me to, on our official Boot Sports Network's timestamps of the game from these are. But there were seven horse callers on two, oh. five of which were on Jaden Daniels. All, every single one of these sevens were on the four drives that we didn't convert uh, for a touchdown or first down. Um, and also uncalled, at least in my opinion, fitting the criterion definition of targeting, there were four targetings that were not called, all four on Jaden Daniels. And I bring this up because in 1941, when... So, hold on, hold on. Before you get into the fullest history, you talk about meeting the definition of targeting. For folks who think they know what targeting is, you have kind of a general understanding. The definition, because I also looked this up, because this was a point that I planned on addressing as well, as I'm sure Don would do this. Yeah. Uh, the targeting rule prohibits players from, quote, making forcible contact with the crown of the helmet or to the head or neck area of a defenseless opponent. That is the rule for NCAA guidelines. Mm-hmm. Now that we have got that established, please continue. Reduce the penalty. The whole idea of, of it was these leather cap days, kids are getting injured. Let's stop the injury. It wasn't for clocks or sports or whatever. And while, yes, certain penalties do help certain teams in certain ways, when you get down to it, 50 years from now, other than crazy people like me, no one's going to care if there's a W or an L beside a team in a season, right? But what does matter are the health and safety of these players, especially a player like Jay Daniels, who is a Heisman hopeful, who probably is working his butt off or knowingly is working his butt off to get into something like the NFL. And when you get down to it, I don't care if Bama won or lost. Does it suck? Yes. But what, to, to get away from the character and the hot takes, the truth is these players are people. And the fact that it's gross negligence, legitimately yeah. gross negligence, that a ref would see something, a hit like that and so Nothing. And then let it happen four times. Horse call, horse call, horse call. Nothing. Oh, Perkins is kind of on the shoulder of someone. Oh, that's a horse collar. Oh, an illegal snap. A bunch of unclear. I, I watched frame by frame where the zebras or whatever you want to call them, uh, said offsides, offsides, offsides when there was none. And they did that four times in the fourth quarter, right when it looked like LSU was about to convert over for a set. Isn't that really interesting? And actually, actually, one moment I would like, before I say my next part, I would like uh, Dave to talk about what Brian Kelly said about the uh, targeting injury. Okay. You're talking about what Brian Kelly said post-game and then in his post-post-game presser regarding? Okay. So, uh, post game, of course, he was asked about the, the hit on Jaden Daniels and was it targeted? And he said in the interview, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, yeah, that he took it up with the refs and that the refs went and 
they reviewed what was um, what what the hit was, and that day, that during that game, they said they determined that it was not a targeting hit. So what he said then in his post post game presser on uh, Monday or Tuesday, I believe, was that he has uh, submitted that hit game film of that hit to the league offices. Because he still stands by the point that he believes that Jane Daniels was targeted. And personally, honestly, I do too. Discussing what targeting is, and based on the definition that we gave, going back and like Brett was talking about watching it frame by frame, I didn't have to go back and watch that hit frame by frame because in the game, they played the replay frame by frame. When the commentators were discussing their shock that it wasn't targeting or was it and, being evaluated for time? Yeah, and I have some some elements of that. I was speaking with a, a local LHSA ref that I'm uh, friends with, and I sort of work with him on a regular basis. And he was, you know, from the referee's perspective, this is not from uh, the casual sports fan. This is from somebody who does this on a regular basis and is familiar with the job. You can look at it a couple ways. Number one, the SEC's claim is that the booth took a look at it and determined that there was no need to escalate from roughing the passer for a hit above the head or neck region, which, which they didn't even call the roughing the passer, by the way. Yeah, exactly. So that gives you some questions. Okay, so this flag more or less came out because this quarterback was hit. Let's look at that hit. So then you take that aspect of it, and that's one thing. Then you go into the next aspect of it, which is, okay, so... We're going to be selective here on how we're taking the calls in this game, obviously, more when we're talking about player safety calls, force collars, targeting. Now, this obviously did not win or make LSU win or lose a game. We know that. We can accept that as well. And I'll tell you why. And I actually have a damn good reason why. Okay. Um, we went into the fourth quarter only one touchdown away from tying the game. Correct. Jay Daniels is out almost the entirety of sports. Yeah. Um, does anyone believe that Jaden would have thrown that interception that Nuss did? Does anyone believe that LSU would have had a problem scoring with Jay Daniels, assuming no injury? And and does anyone believe that if that first targeting was called, that the other three that happened when we happened to not convert would have happened if the two players that did it would have been out of the game. I think the first Bama player taken out of the game to that targeting call, that Bama defensive coordinator says, hey guys, start playing like, like you know. Simmer down. Simmer down. Yeah. Play right. Exactly. And, and those four scholars don't happen. Those four scholars don't happen. I think we go into the fourth with the game yeah. behind, if not ahead. So yeah, and, uh, it affects the game. It affects the player's health on the day, and it affects their careers in the long run, because concussions and stuff can not be seen sometimes for 20 years. So I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. Oh. And I'm going to agree with producer Brett. Um, I I wholeheartedly agree that whether you want to call it home cooking or not, whether you want to call it uh, favoritism or, or just dirty play, I think that it definitely did cost LSU the game. 
you know, I do have to put a grin on my face because I don't know if either of you two know this. Are you familiar with the uh, home ties of that head wrap? No, I don't. I'm not. From Louisiana. No, you know, I know lots of Louisiana folks that are diehard Alabama fans. And yeah. now Dave is it's gonna make everything else I said look like I'm crazy and discredit it. It's also gonna make Dave disagree with me. However, he was a good rock. Can't wait. On the tinfoil hat for a second. I have to say this. He made that so beautifully, like he's done that before. It just <laughs> anyway. I, I have to say this, and despite the, the thing, I am very serious. We all know what happened in the Pac-12, right? Yes. We have seen what power the broadcasters have over the sport. As much as I hate the NFL, they call it things like the National Film League, whatever. They have a commission, and they have their things pretty straight when it comes to their media rights, et cetera, et cetera. And they're walking the dog. The dog doesn't walk them in sense of the media. From my understanding, I'm very ignorant on the NFL. College is a jungle dumpster fire when it comes to who runs who. There is no commissioner. There is no long standing whatever. There's different. Each conference is sort of a different league, and the playoff has only been around for a while, and even then we can't decide it. I bring all this up. The Pac-12 fell apart. Because broadcasters went behind the commission's back, giving large sums of monies to schools, telling them to leave. This isn't a tinfoil hat theory. This is real life. This is confirmed by paper documented emails and has been reported all over the place, right? In fact, the original college football playoff only left the BCS era because Mark Cuban and Sony was going to give millions of dollars to make their own playoff. And the commission freaked out and the broadcasters make the CFB. Why else would the college football playoff poll have that show, right? You can look at my office. You can see the amount of LSU memorabilia all over the place. And you know that I'm an LSU fan, so it pains me to say LSU is not as much of a remarkable name as Alabama or Georgia's. And mm, yeah, that's where you lost wait, me. Wait, wait. And I say this because on terms of a national stage, Alabama's went to two of the last three uh, national championships. Georgia's won two of the last three national championships. I truly, I can't prove it. I don't have evidence. Hence the tinfoil hat. I truly believe in my heart of hearts that these broadcasters, your ESPNs, your CBSs, have the power and the money where they can dismantle a 100-year football conference seemingly overnight by changing entire schools that makes millions of their own from education. Because a lot of people don't realize this about CFP, but it's college football for a reason. These schools make millions of their own, regardless of athletics. If they can dismantle conferences and change allegiances of entire schools overnight, apparatuses of thousands of people who are already making bank, what the hell could they do to a team of refs? And what's more marketable to the SEC? The big Bama-Georgia SEC championship or the LSU-Georgia uh, SEC championship? 
That, if LSU wins, they might not go to the playoffs. But if Georgia or Bama wins, they'll definitely go. All right. So, so I'd like to take a moment to address those statements. Yeah. I don't necessarily disagree with all of them. There are some things that I do disagree with. When you talk about marketability and, and the likelihood, like who likes what teams, if you're trying to make a comparison that some folks may understand, Alabama is to college football right now what the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick Patriots were to the NFL. Except it, in a much larger scale because the dynasty is further. Yeah. The reason why Georgia is getting all the attention right now is because they are the upcoming garments. They are the team that has the ability to unseat Alabama as that next big Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, college football dynasty team. Kansas City Chiefs. A Kansas City Chiefs. Absolutely. I love the Kansas City Chiefs analogy. So last year, you had a fantastic story, I think, nationally. I'm not just trying to say it as a fan. Talking about Brian Kelly coming in, doing what he did with LSU. He got off to a very rocky start. A lot of the shenanigans, talking about a southern accent, and all the rest of that, and catching a lot of unfavorable media attention at first, losing to Florida State, and then working some things out. And then, oh, my God, he beat Alabama. And now LSU is playing for the SEC championship game against Georgia. Now, let's just say, for the sake of hypotheticals, and we could debate these things ad nauseum for days, but let's just say, for the sake of argument, that there is a college football Illuminati pulling the string behind the scenes. Okay? Nothing there is, nothing there isn't. For the sake of argument, there is. Okay? Does anybody believe, outside diehard LSU fans, that LSU-Georgia would have been a legitimate thing to talk about it try to talk about it objectively. Or if you're trying to sell a story, is Alabama-Georgia a bigger story because now you get a chance to see what would have happened last year had upstart LSU not disrupted the narrative. Again, assuming... That all these things are scripted. I, I also want to point out, it, it, just look, just look at the SEC championship last year. They called targeting on a Georgia player that was clear targeting. But oh wait, there's only one SEC team going to the playoff, and that's a crucial player that we need. Well, what do we do? We take the targeting away. One doesn't have to think that there's a cabal of people that meets in a ring going, mm, "Yes, this game, it will be Alabama." <laughs> no, all it takes is. Some dude at ESPN being like, if LSU goes to the SEC, we'll make $5 million, but it'll be way more than that. These are just our two numbers. Uh, yeah. $5 million. But if Alabama, Georgia goes to the SEC, then we'll make $20 million. Yo, Bob, what do you think about that? Yeah. And then this gets talked about hypothetically, look, we're talking right now to SEC meeting and some refs go to these meetings the refs think about it like you know that that's a good point and you know we got to do what's better for the sec in the long term especially in the days of conference realignment we'll see what we can do and then it's like oh alabama ain't doing so hot in this game it's going tip for tat 
And yeah, that was targeting. But you know, if I just call a lesser call, then I'm still doing my job, giving them the penalty, and Bam will stay healthy um, for the rest of the season. We don't have to worry about hurting these teams because LSU might lose the game already. So it, it doesn't ultimately matter. And then one or two of those decisions get made. And the next thing you know, the game's cost by the refs, not because some football Illuminati, but just, you know. Yeah. And, and, yeah. It's an interesting take there because you have to look at things, you know, it, it's all a business. Let's be fair. It's all make money. Let's be fair. We can, we can start all there up, down, two or blue. We know all these things. But if we scale back a little bit, we scale back to this game in particular, which I think is fair to go back to this game. There's such a weird aspect to what is the storyline this year in college football, because in some ways you can say the storyline is upsets. You can say the storyline is, you know, Oklahoma last second upset Texas, and then Oklahoma gets upset by Oklahoma State, Kansas upsetting Oklahoma. You know, not to mention a lot, but yeah, the there's a narrative of upsets. You know, Louisville upsets Notre Dame. Uh, USC is now being run off the map, which is sort of in a line to what you're talking about just a moment ago there, because you're talking about media. You're talking about the value of teams. There is no bigger media value in the sport of college football than USC, because USC is the largest media market in the country. And if they ever got hot again, you think they, uh, I'm going to use the popular culture term, blaze Alabama. You haven't seen anything in if USC ever gets going again. So that's one of the interesting things about this sport is that there is sort of a lack of forward clicking storylines that you maybe see sometimes in other leagues. Like I said, I don't think ladies are getting set. I, I don't think it's a cabal of people meeting in a room. But I do think individuals. One doesn't have to have a conspiracy for something to have happened planned. And what, and what I mean by that is if me and Donald individually think to ourselves without ever having this discussion in person, you know, for the next episode, I really feel like wearing red is or wearing yellow yeah. is the move. And we both wear yellow. And then Dave comes on and he happens to wear yellow. Then it's the yellow episode. But did we plan it? No. So if I was a ref thing, yellow episode, what episode? But um, if only the three of us were doing it. Oh, I mean, that would be too weird if that all happened. I can't confirm or deny anything of the sort. But if you just tie in with correlation and random events, go ahead. Go ahead. I think we just titled the episode, by the way. The yellow episode. The yellow episode. Uh, my, my point is, if I as a ref. It's not even like, oh, Saban paid me or the SEC's paying me or broadcast or whatever. It could just be, you know. If I you know, if you put a big yellow flag right in the middle of things and let it take its course. Yeah. If I if I were to call this targeting, what would this do for the player? I'm feeling a little sympathetic today. And then the next ref goes, well, if that wasn't targeting, I definitely don't want to call this targeting. Well, this game's going on a little too long. I don't want to throw in that horse collar and all these are just one individual decision but when culminated together as a picture it cost LSU the game and, and that is exactly what I was I don't, and I don't mean to cut you off earlier but that is exact, that is 100% exactly the point I was trying to get to 
when I said that I agreed with you and thought that all of this did cost LSU the game. Oh yeah, because oh, yeah, because we Not have discussed it. Yeah, no, we have discussed it in past seasons. Not in past seasons, in past weeks. Yeah. That t- games are won and lost based on momentum, and momentum is built and managed on both sides of the ball, on both sides of of who's on offense, who's on defense. The LSU offense, the LSU defense, Alabama offense, Alabama defense. When you as a coach can say to your players, keep doing it until they call it, and they never call it, then that builds a very different level of momentum for your team that it's it's like being the kid that grows up getting in trouble for everything, watching your a-hole brother get away with everything. This is the first game in a very long time. I wasn't sad. For the loss. Because I watched that game, I saw how our team played, and, and I pointed out to Donald when I was in my drunken stupor in real time, Bam was taking 10 plays to score, we were taking three. Yeah. Our defenses were tit for tat until the ref BS. And I, I disagree. We had the better team, we had the better coaches, and by if all things were fair, Game played nine times out of ten, I think I'll shoot that game. Absolutely. I think hey, I, I take is not out. Elsie wins that game. But I take a different perspective. Negligent coaches, I mean sorry, negligent refs who didn't care about the health and safety of their players. Though they literally have one job. Again, throw the W's and the L's out of here. Your one job is to protect the players. That's that's your job as well. Call the penalties to protect the players. Yeah. If you don't do that, why is no one fired? That's my question. So here's the thing, I think, regarding your point there that the game was won or lost uh, more or less as an even team. And I agree that the offenses were producing pretty evenly. I agree that the defenses were trading pretty evenly. But the performance of the defense schematically, the performance of the defense as far as drawing up your plays, We've talked a lot about the whole situation with that house this year. I think everyone has a position on it. We don't need to hash out what the right position is. But what it is, is watching that game again. And, you know, if it comes to the point where the coach has to say, we should have done something that the reporter is bringing up, it probably means that it should have been done. And for whatever reason, it wasn't able to be implemented during the game. Which is fine. about the defense, though? Other than the refs, Bama got lucky as hell with the injuries. Oh, to a degree, yes. LSU was playing the weakest at will all year, if I'm being frank. I think that this is going to be the the least amount of strength we have. But to address particularly the defense performance, you saw a very disjointed run defense. Much like how we've had to endure in other teams, they're just being a disjointed part of the team that just was the weakness. When you let a quarterback who is admittedly, both self-admittedly and schematically admittedly, in no way designed to be a runner. Jane Daniels is designed to be a strong runner in LSU's offense. Jalen Milrow is no way supposed to be running that ball. He is. This is literally, you're having the equivalent of someone like Derek Carr get four rushing touchdowns on you. It, it, it doesn't have a place in their offense, which means that your defense had a gaping hole that got left wide open. And this is why we have the situation we're in, because our defense schematics were so far off along with being completely swayed by 
influences within the game. We got beat by our own schematic. We oh, turned Jalen Milrow into Jaden Daniels. Um, Nussmeyer, though, I didn't know it before this game, but that man had legs. Oh, yeah, he could do mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Okay. But I'll say this, um, and this is why I said to my friends at the bar shortly after the game. You know, those refs sucked. That loss sucked. But you know what sucks more? You know what sucks way more? <clears throat> it sucks to be a Florida Gator. That's right. We do. We got to move on. And uh, we got to put the L behind us. And we will. away. And and if there's, and I have always been the Mr. Silver Lining kind of guy. So here's yeah. my silver lining. We can leave uh, Alabama Hate Week behind us, knowing that Alabama can't be this clean. Yeah. They can't be this clean. One of the best coaches in the game got to resort to dirty hits and maybe or maybe not a little bit of home cooking to beat a very banged up, poorly defensed. Tiger team. So that's one thing to take away from that. Uh, the other good thing, the other good thing moving forward is it was reported earlier today that Jane Daniels has been cleared and has returned to practice ahead of this week's now sold out contest with the Florida Gators. That's going to be Saturday night at Tiger Stadium in Death Valley. So that's good news. I do want to ask you all this. How do y'all think this will affect Jaden's Heisman chances, if at all? He hasn't moved. Uh, from both media reporting and uh, from the boys in Vegas, it seems like he hasn't been penalized for missing the last 11 minutes of the game. Everyone was uh, quite respectful of his performance. If anything, it is kind of like a uh, kind of a reverse Heisman moment. You know, if he goes down and comes back and still uh, balled out in the way that he has been all season with that injury showing that, you know, I am resilient and I am still the best. It, it could lead to the only pathway to see what I believe for a long time will be a sub, uh, playoff level quarterback or any player for that matter getting in the highs of running. Because once we start up next year and however long down the line, if you're not really one of those top 12 teams, I, I don't think that you're going to be on the radar. But Jaden has proven that he is one of the, if not the best, we know statistically the best. He is still out earning in yards-wise Joe Burrow through this game, might I add, even though he missed the last 11 minutes. He, If he isn't in New York, it would be a travesty. If he doesn't win, I can understand why maybe the writers, who are the ones who are voting on this primarily, chose someone else. But if he isn't at that uh, stage in New York, there would be a major problem there. My- my answer to your question would have been, ask me next week. It really all depends on how he comes out and how he participates against Florida. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing that you've got to remember. Prior to Alabama, he is the number one candidate, or at least he's in the top of the, the mention of candidates for the Heisman Trophy on a team with two losses. Now he is still equally a top candidate for Heisman Trophy on a team with three losses. That is not going to get a conference championship. That is not going to get into the to the playoffs. 
if he comes out and still in the next couple of games, their final few games, puts up ridiculous offensive numbers, has an outstanding bowl performance. Well, well the bowl would happen after the, the Heisman announcement anyway. But he comes out in, in his last couple of games and has outstanding offensive performances. And he does it on the heels of that injury. How do you deny him? And and not only that, I'll I'll take it, uh, another uh, take here that maybe Bruce Brett might not be thinking. Uh, he's moving up the big boards. If we're talking mm-hmm. about be it Mel Kuyper or any of the other names that you're familiar with, um, he's shooting up the big boards, and it's really expected that not only once this season ends and he has whatever statistical numbers he has, once he gets in those meetings and shows people who Jaden Daniels is, who we've all come to learn and respect and love, and if you are still a Jaden hater, please seek help. Um, you know, I think you're going to see him shoot up into, at this point, what would be a safe assumption is the first round. And that's also what Jaden's playing for here, besides the Heisman shot, is that he has become somebody who is not on a draft radar to potentially one of the best quarterbacks that will lead a franchise in the next level for years to come. And that's really showing that the LSU brand, more than anything in the program, no matter what we're dealing with, we still provide a place for athletes to come and truly put themselves on the best stage to advance themselves as people and as professional athletes. It would be nice, but don't count on it. Yeah. Who was the last uh, first or second round quarterback the Saints drafted? Before your times. Is it Bobby? Florida Gator. Florida Gator. Huh? Florida Gator? Danny Werfel. Oh, no. Danny Werfel. And he was Danny Awful. He was a draft bust. Since then, the Saints have not drafted anybody that they assume to be a franchise quarterback in the first round to two rounds of traffic. They don't. That's why they end up picking people like Jake Hayner later in the draft, sitting them down and cultivating them, and then they end up trading for Derek Carrs and Drew Breeses and Jameis Winstons. It's been that way for 20 years. It's not going to happen. No, we traded to get Drew Brees. Well, we signed Drew Brees after his injury. Yeah. He was picked up as a free agent. But... There's another quarterback in New Orleans in this state that we should talk about. Yeah, huh? Mr. Michael Pratt from Tulane University. We're going to jump in talking about Tulane, and I'm going to hold off on the Michael Pratt roses. I'm going to give him his flowers in a minute, but we got to talk about the whole team aspect. Yes. Uh, they held on to squeak by. Bye. One and seven East Carolina to keep the top 25 ranking. They dropped down three from 21 to 24. And honestly, I don't know that they, after that performance, deserve to still be in the top 25, but bless them for still being there. For the two weeks prior to this matchup, you guys are going to remember, Tulane nearly squandered dominant first half performances in the second halves of their games. Defense just kind of stopped playing. In what on paper looked like it should have been a cupcake squash game, I still, to this day, can't tell if Tulane struggled to look mediocre or if East Carolina just really came to play or if it was a little bit of both. Uh, it was a stunning 
performance by both. And uh, the score, I can't even believe that I did not write it down. It was 13 uh, or 17. 13-10. Which was ridiculous. And yeah. our predictions thought they were yeah. way higher than that. Yeah. Um, and it should have been way higher than that. But it, it was not. Uh, the two-lane defense, they did show up. They held East Carolina to only 10 points, looking like early season form. But where was the two-lane offense? What had happened, Mr. Michael Pratt? Uh, the way that they are playing right now, uh, the final game of the two-lane season is UTSA. They are also undefeated in AAC conference play. And right now they are in third yes. in the conference. They're behind Tulane and SMU, Southern Methodist. We don't play SMU. SMU is currently, and they have a fantastic team. They're not as good overall record as Tulane, but the conference record is right there with them. Solid, yeah. uh, if they can't get past that, uh, UTSA is going to be a trap game. Yep. And it is going to cost them a conference championship against the SMU Mustangs because they will lose the tiebreaker to UTSA. And it'll be UTSA versus SMU, and two loss Tulane is going to be too bad, so sad. Tulane is not yet playing the Mustangs. Assuming they make the conference championship. If Tulane wins out, okay, then they would need to go up against SMU to play for the conference championship. That would be their the conference championship game because most likely both teams would end up. Undefeated in conference play. So, how do you determine who the winner is? Those two go at it, and we'll, we'll see. If Tulane loses to UTSA, UTSA then stands the chance to likely win out and go undefeated. So, they would take Tulane's spot, and they would play SMU for the conference championship, and Tulane would be out in the cold. So... They need to figure that mess out, and they need to get that together. Their team has, they started playing so well this season, and now when one side of the ball shows up, the other one can't be found. And they, they just, they've got to find that balance and get back it's to that. something about the plurality within, you know, Louisiana sports football, particularly right now. You have a strong two-lane defense. They held them to 10 points. That's, that's not an easy thing to do, even with the quality of their team. The fact that they, with a nation-leading, nation-respected quarterback, we're going to give this flowers later, struggled to put up two touchdowns. Where have we heard this before? It's a recipe that is not going to guarantee very much success going forward. However, we can be thankful that at least you have a coach like Willie Fritz. You have a coach that is able to meet the demand of a team that is within, you know, an up-and-down play style. And they're able to hold these teams off in situations that are very improbable. That Rice win by itself was quite the entertaining finish, if you ever want to go back and watch it. I think at this point, Tulane has proven to they're taking on that kind of cardiac uh, styling that a lot of teams use, where it's just like, oh, we never know where to get up Tulane today. There's going to be no easy win. Now you go all the way back to UAB and they had to overcome challenges that were somewhat, you know, very questionable in Seattle teams. But, you know, at the end of the day, Tulane has, I believe, three games to go, and one of them against a quality opponent being the UTSA. Tulane has. Let's Tulane has three. Yeah. Yeah. 
is a speech therapist or a language coach because y'all are saying too lame as though it's too lame. Lane. L-A-N-E. Lane. Lane. Uh, too lame for me to They have a better record than LSU does. Yeah. Hey, you know what would be funny? It is possible. Uh-huh. I, I know you're on the same wavelength with me, Donald. We could find out exactly who is the better boot team in a in a boot bowl of sorts. Keep that rag and disrespectfully take it from them. It would take a little bit of effort, but LSU basically would need to backdoor into somewhere approaching the top twelve, and they could easily be put into something like let's. I'm just going to throw one out there: a New Year's Six bowl. Let's say the Orange Bowl. So it'd be Tulane versus the Tigers. In Miami for the Tiger Rag. What a season that would be. That would be great. That would be beautiful. Tulane has Tulsa coming up this weekend. Uh, then they have FAU and then they close out with UTSA. Yep. So that is, that is the end of theirs. All right. Talking about giving Michael Pratt his flowers, uh, here. Your flowers, sir. Uh, because it was announced on November 6th earlier this week that Mr. Michael Pratt, the all-time leading touchdown passer for Tulane University, has been invited to participate in the East-West Shrine Bowl. And as I, you and I were going over that in notes, you said that he has actually received another invitation. Yep, he is now going to be invited to the Reese's Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. So shout out to Michael Pratt for that. And uh, he's not the only uh, Tulane Green Wave player with an invitation, I understand. That's correct, yes. I uh, believe, and I'm just going to try and remember the name off the top of my head. If I get this incorrect, I apologize. I believe that was Jawan Jackson, who uh, was also, yes, invited to uh, the East-West Shrine game. So you'll see quite a bit of the green helmets out there on the offense uh, whenever that game comes around later this year. Yes, indeed. All right, so we're going to talk about what is coming up upcoming for both Tulane and LSU when we swing back around and we look ahead and predict this weekend's games. Uh, We're going to come back and talk about the Saints looking back. Uh, They are now number one in your NFC South. People just ain't satisfied. It's a shame, and I got a message for Saints fans. I'm going to give it to you here in just a second. But first and foremost, I'd like to try to give you $10,000. Not me, not directly anyway. Family Promise of St. Tammany Parish, they would like to give you the $10,000. Family Promise is an organization that provides shelter, help, and hope for families on the North Shore, and they cannot do it alone. For only $25 from now until December 15th, you can buy tickets for their fourth annual Family Promise raffle. Starting November 1st, they're going to draw for amazing daily prizes, which we are well into November, so that has already begun. And all daily winners will remain eligible for the $10,000 grand prize drawing that's going to take place live on December 15th. The more tickets you have, the better your odds. So get yours now at fpstp.org. That is FP, as in family promise, STP, St. Tammany Parish, fpstp.org. Good luck. Of course, we welcome you all here on the Boot Sports Network as we are using one of our alternate formats this week, coming to you live through the power of the internet, digitally, also through the power of the internet. 
And what is so unique about the Blue Sports Network here is that we find ways to make sure that you are getting the best in coverage. Um, one thing that you can always find us on, uh, very particularly active in both our Facebook and Instagram stories, if you are not watching this there, all the latest news gets to the pass through those channels. It's a very quick way, as well as our X platform, as we send out constant updates. If you want Louisiana sports news, not only should you be listening to Boots to Balls, but the full amount of information can be found on our social media. So please don't forget to head over there, leave us a follow, and just sort of soak up what we do here. Because a lot of these news stories that don't even make it somewhere like kicking around the boot, we cover pretty fully throughout the week, as well as giving you updates on where to watch games of all your favorite Louisiana teams. So once again, head over to our Instagram, Facebook, X, YouTube, TikTok, or wherever you prefer to watch us or listen to this podcast, and give us a follow, and don't forget to put on notifications so you get the latest Louisiana sports news all through your phone, courtesy of the Transcendent Blue Sports Network. Indubitably. All right. Let's talk some Saints football for just a Saints second. football. Winning. I, I've, I've, there's a reason why, for the first time in the history of Boots Balls, I am not wearing Saints apparel. Uh, it, I will get into it later. Um, but I am excited. I'm happy. The Saints are number one in the division. They own it outright. They don't own a share of it. It's not a, they're tied for. If, it's if the season would have ended today, yes, they would go to the playoffs as the fourth seed, the NFC South division champions. Uh, five and four is their current record. And I know that doesn't sound outstanding, but. It's enough to get the job done. Close enough for government work, as they say. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't a 30-point performance that we may have hoped for against the Chicago Bears, uh, like we saw against the Pats and the Colts, but it was a win. And a win is a win. It's a W in the column. The defense started slow, allowing Chicago to not only score first, but throughout the first half, the Saints had to constantly play catch-up uh, just to take a 14-14 tie into halftime. While the Saints did have some issues in the second half, the defense woke up and the defense played lights out. Paulson Adebo. If you don't know, now you do. Commit that man's name to memory. Your boy was a one-man wrecking crew. Uh, They only allowed three second-half points and recorded four of the Saints' five total uh, takeaways. Yes. And I'm going to tell you right now, Paulson Adebo was a part of just about every one of them. I mean, just about active across the entire field, making sure to commit not only tackles, but two interceptions, one forced fumble, and he recovered the fumble he forced. And I in one game. He in one game. Player of the week. Um, Atta boy. Absolutely. But let's talk about the rest of the Saints' performance, because... uh my, 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 New Orleans, what are you doing? Did you know? No, go ahead. No, 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 you go. Did, did you know that whenever you have a five to zero turnover advantage, you can still lose a total yards battle? Mm-hmm. Saints, uh, went 301 units to Chicago's three, six, I'm oh, sorry, 368. Did you know that whenever you turn the ball over five times, you can still get more first downs than the other team? Because the Saints only got 18 first downs. Wait, hold on. Hold on. I have a question for Producer okay. Brett. Producer Brett, you're a video gamer. Yeah. You play NCAA. Football kind of the same. Yeah. Let's just say that you intercept the ball on the 30-yard line. 
Okay. Your opponent's 30 yard line. What's the greatest number of yards you can get on that drive? Seven. If you score a touchdown. No, you, you intercepted on your opponent's 30. 30. So if you have, let's just assume, now of course the Saints didn't do this. Yeah, because why would you score a touchdown? <laughs> if you have five turnovers, and they all happen somewhere near the 30-yard line of your defense, and you score five touchdowns off of all five of those turnovers, how many yards are you going to get? Five times 30. Sorry, 150? 50. 150. Well done, DJ Bad. 150. This is not a lot in the grand scheme of things, especially considering you're sitting on 35 points at that point. You got to keep in mind, though, you want to talk about that. The yardage, their average, their average starting field position, especially in the second half, was right about there. Yeah, um, sure. Now, they also were not moving the ball. No. A win is a win is a win, but I, I, I would be out of the play. But there's one more point I have to bring up. If I have to bring any more shade to this sunshine. Go ahead. Because I can't wait to talk to the shade people. Because there are so many people throwing shade right now. Okay, this is going to be it's going to be an NFL segment here. So producer Brad needs to refresh his body. Did you? No, he's got a headache after doing all that math. He's got to get some. I don't know. He's got to get some get some refreshments there. Did you? I mean, that even if you intercept the ball. Or force the ball and get five turnovers, you can still lose the time of possession battle. Because the Saints did not make it over the Bears in short 59 minutes of the 20 seconds over the Bears 30 and 40 seconds. So very close, I'll give them that. But what I think was more than anything sort of troubling is that you had so many opportunities within their side of the ball. And yeah, Blake Ruby did doink a kick and that would have brought you closer to 30. And he had a couple moments where the clock ended at the uh, second half there, and that would have been able to push you over to get you uh, maybe another uh, score there. But, I mean, we have to wonder. Yeah, the same one, because their defense played absolutely insane. But what is the offense doing to only put up 24 off of that? So, I see your stats, and I will raise you with stats. Did you know that Derek Carr has a two-game streak with no interceptions thrown and for the second straight week has a passer rating of over 100, making this game his third best this season so far? And he has a completion percentage in this game against Chicago over 70%. 73.5%. Which was his best this season to date. He was 25 and 34 for 211. So yeah, no, we did not score as often as we should have. I 100% agree with you. I think if you get five turnovers, you've got to get points on a couple of them. You have to. If you can't get 21, if you can't get 17 points, two touchdowns in the field goal, off five turnovers, Especially considering the field position that you took on most of those. Okay. Shame. I agree. I agree. But I can't be that mad because at the end of the day, a win is a win. Is a win is a win. 
Now you also talk about Blake Groovy. Do I get to keep an eye It doesn't want me to come up. Which was just the most sad one. I was ready for this. Blake Groovy was one for two on field goals. The one that he did make was his career long today. 55 yarder. He still remains perfect on PAT. Groupie is now 18 of 23 field goals on the year, which is 78.3%. The kicker, you really look for your kicker to be 80% of that, somewhere in that ballpark. It's his rookie year, so he's still a little under that mark. People are unhappy about that. I get it. In Denver right now, Will Lutz, former New Orleans Saint, is 13 of 15 for field goals. They've only tried to get him to kick 50. He's missed two of 15. Yeah. 86.7%, and he is not perfect on fields. 15 er, on extra points. He's 15 and 16 on extra points. There are only two kickers in all of the NFL, I know, that have played the full season so far that are perfect. Have not missed a single kick. Nick Folk from Tennessee and Harrison Bucker from Kansas City. Now, every other actual kicker, every one, 30 kickers, has missed at least one PAT field goal or both. Right now, Blake Ruby is tied with Dustin Hopkins of Cleveland and Brett Maher for the Rams for the most attempted field goals in the league in 23. <laughs> Brett Maher? Maher? You know the old Brett. Uh, anyway, in that group of three, of the three kickers that have attempted the most field goals so far this season, he's ranked second behind Hopkins in field goal percentage, and he's tied with him for first in extra point percentage at 100%. Hopkins has kicked 13 PATs. Groupie has kicked 19. Groupie is getting way more opportunities to put boots to balls for the same. You saw what I did there? I saw what I did. Love that. So it is. It's law of averages. You're not going to make everyone. The more that you kick, the more you have an opportunity to miss. He's a pro. He shouldn't be missing. Yeah, yeah, but still, he is a rookie who by no means is a bad keeper. No, and the law of averages is very my fantasy team, I should say. So, you know, I'm going to make 50 yards. Correct. He is still the leading scorer on the same team, I believe. He is, yes. So, the... The more opportunities you have, the more chances for failure you're going to get. He has had a lot more chances to fail than most of the kickers in the league, and he's still beating many of them in many statistical categories. So give the kid a break. I'll do it. Give the kid a break. Now, here's why I'm on my soapbox this week. Okay. And this has nothing to do with me not wearing uh, Saints apparel. I am not anti-Saints or anti-Saints fan. But I'll be Damn, Saints fans are some of the most fickle fans in the league. Was that the Bluebirds already in the dome this week? You did. You heard Bluebirds in the dome, and I get it. Five turnovers, nope, and not, not no bridge, but not as many points as you should have gotten. Sometimes things didn't work out. And look, the fans were really, for whatever reason, not there. You were there in the dome. I'm telling you that on most games, that noise meter that they throw up yes. in the video boards, that noise meter is consistently over 100. They struggled to meet 100. Maybe it was daylight savings time. Maybe it was X or Y or Z or whatever. I don't know what it was. 
But what I do know is the New Orleans Saints are the number one team in the NFC South. We have a winning record. What the hell are we complaining about? We are not going to be a Sean Payton, Drew Brees team. It may be a no, it may be a very long time before we see a team like that in New Orleans, if ever again. Yeah. I mean, look at what's happening right now in New England. When was the last time San Francisco had a team a la Joe Montana, Steve Young? Green Bay has gotten a little lucky, but now that their franchise quarterbacks and Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers have moved on, how are they doing? Exactly. Those things happen. It's changing. They happen. Drew Brees, one of the best of all time, has a lot of us absolutely spoiled. Oh, He's up there in the conversation with Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, the like. Pat Mahomes is going to get there one day. Statistics, you compare them to that of someone like Tom Brady. He actually has better stats for overall, even though he doesn't have more Super Bowls. Many would Yep. Um, yeah. So, elite quarterbacks like that, they are not just a dime a dozen. Yeah. They're not just sitting around on every sideline. Not everybody has one of those. Sometimes teams are going to win ugly games. And I mean, right here at the halfway mark, I'll go ahead and say it. You know, you have a quarterback like Derek Carr, who, it, it, this is going to surprise a lot of you, see. Did you know that Derek Carr is on pace for nearly 4,000 yards, 20 touchdowns, mm-hmm. Which is going to be career best for him. Which is, yeah, it is very much sustainable, reasonable, functional. Now, I think where your Saints kind of, you know, you kind of have to take a little bit of the pain is that you're going to have Chris Olave, who may be good yet though this year. You're going to have Michael Thomas, who, you know, is not quite Three years ago, Michael Thomas, which I, you know, I saw them try and throw to him. I saw, you know, he did take a PI, uh, which was beneficial. That got us, uh, some uh, yards there. But, you know, are you using your assets like you would if Drew was back there? You know, it's not going to be exactly equal. But at the same time, you're right. The Saints are five and four. The Saints have a very favorable, not easy, but favorable, Next few weeks here, you can take a look at what they have coming up, starting with Minnesota on Sunday. Then they're going to go out to uh, the Falcons, which will be a rough rivalry game, as we know. But at the same time, the Falcons absolutely just blew a lead to the Vikings. And then the Lions, which will be potentially the toughest opponent you face for the remainder of the year, believe it or not. Um, mm-hmm. Because you're playing a lot of other very uh, up-and-down teams. And then you finish out with other low-winning teams like the Giants, the Panthers. This is not a chance where New Orleans will struggle to get 10 wins. It is very reasonable. It is very possible. Even your prediction of 11 uh, 11-6. 11-6, yeah, with the new 17-game uh, season. It's very possible. Let's, let's not discount the fact that the Saints are going to have debatably one of the top five seasons in franchise history, yet this entire franchise fan base Seems they have a different taste in their mouth. I think we may need to start pumping a little bit of the reality that the Saints have made it through the toughest part of the year and they are now in position to claim their position and the NFC. This is what I find frustrating. Oh, wow. The Saints could win every game left this season. Mm-hmm. Ugly as it. Let's yep. just assume 
That is not one is a pretty win. They are all ugly wins, but they're wins. Yes. Then they move into the playoffs. And let's assume that they do the same thing with the playoffs. They manage to find a way to win every game they play. Ugly as Seattle. Then they beat whatever team the AFC throws into the Super Bowl three to nothing. One of the most boring, least exciting Super Bowls in history. Ugly as Satan. But the Saints are Super Bowl champions. And you know what? The fans are still crap all over. And I don't, I don't understand why we can't just be happy. You know, he's surprised what fans are I tell you what, if the Saints won the Super Bowl three to nothing against a very legitimate Baltimore team or a Kansas City yeah. team, uh, yeah, I guarantee I, Derek Carr could throw for 600 yards in a game that if you only put three points on the board, you'd still have a very large constituency of the New Orleans fan base calling to get him and the Carmichael and Dennis Allen out. And Super Bowl champions. They're not good enough. So from a lot of these same fans in the beginning of the year, whenever you had Jaden, who couldn't get LSU just enough of what they wanted to see, and then all of a sudden, it was put nothing. It was James not got the offense under control, yet victory came, statistics came, and now you're saying, oh, that's the best thing this quarterback you're ever going to have. We, we have to get there. We have to get there. Now, I'm not saying that Derek, who realistically, if I think we're all fair to ourselves, other than Archie and Drew, is now probably the very best quarterback the Saints have ever thrown out there with the field. Um, you know, flip flop James as you wish. Um, I'll be in But Bobby never got you a playoff win. Bobby. Aaron Brooks did. You know, and, yes. and Aaron Brooks was in the dome. And, but Aaron Brooks is still catching people out there. Aaron Brooks is still catching Shane. Yeah. Um, maybe that 05 season here, some of that. But we're not going to get into uh, sore and sour. Uh-huh. One season tarnishes his entire legacy. The first quarterback to win a Saints playoff game. But at least the beer man. That makes up for it. Yeah, at least. Here's, but here's my point. Right now, we are five and four. Yes. Last season at this point, we were three and six. Mm-hmm. That's, that's improvement. We're not eight and one like Philly. No. And Philly is the only team who's eight and one, by the way, in the entirety of the NFL. We're not seven and two. We're not six and three. We're five and four. That is enough for us to have the top the NFC South, the fourth seed in the playoffs, one game back from the third seed in the NFC, mm-hmm. and a guaranteed postseason home game. Take the dubs and quit your bitching. Yep, you got to push forward. Saints can regain the fan base and the referees. Is like, if they score 50 points a game. They just go on their players to take games so. Wait, say it again. Dave Taylor said, Kansas did that, ESPN was there, and now they got now they get all the ref calls. So. None of our players were previously famous enough to do that. I don't Travis, Travis Kelsey had his own reality TV show where he was trying to find love, and I guess that didn't work out. <laughs> I mean, what's the score? Is this your. Are you are you doing an in program NCAA simulation of this? Yeah, of course you are. Yeah. 
and LSU got two interceptions, leading with Florida up 14 to six. We just made our first five putty. I say go for two. So wait, it's 14 six, and you're you're trying to figure out whether to go for two. Yeah, you go for two. I go for two. Why not? It's 14 to six. Yeah, you go for two. I go two possession game. You know, you don't often uh, get to ask your fellow broadcast partners here on the show. Fair enough. Fair enough. But um, yeah. So look, ultimately, you have two shots at Atlanta. One of them will be the last game of the year. Thank you, NFL, for capitalizing on your top or your division points. So. Ultimately, if you take care of Atlanta in one of the two, and by the way, the last one of the year is in the Superdome, which you might get into if you work on Look, the Saints very well could be playing themselves. I don't think they're in position for the box. I want to be very clear. That's I got it. That's pretty much oh, it. I know. But, uh, so. Why is the first round, the team who takes the, the number one seed? As the first round of the playoffs off. So seven teams from each conference go one sit in week one, two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five. Which I will mention, I know we do some of this at producer Brett is not a lifelong NFL fan, but I just think there's one of our fan base here and not everyone else is a lifelong NFL fan or the cross uh, cross references don't always hit. So we want to make sure if any of you ever have a question or anything like that, please ask in the comments down below. We'd be happy to explain any concept. We are uh, sort of friendly, uh, beginner friendly here on this For sure. Now, we are going to move on. This seems to be a very unique challenge this Sunday in Minnesota. And I'm going to break that down for you when we come back more in predictions a little bit later on in the episode. But we need to kick around the boots because there's a lot going on all over the place. Before we do that, we pay a couple of bills. Indeed, indeed. This week, while we're not in our usual confines at Echo Tango, we do want to, of course, thank Tommy Valley and all the nine folks over there for providing our wonderful home studio where we're able to bring you the best content in the state of Louisiana. And due to all the wonderful equipment and resources given there, we are able to both make the show mobile and live in the studio. So wherever you're watching us and whichever episode you're watching, once again, thank you to the fine folks who support us over there at Echo Tango. And also, this week, I'd like to introduce uh, one of our new sponsors. You heard them last episode, and they were going to let you know about them again. That is the Neil Engineer, which provides comprehensive design services, including civil engineering, structural engineering, land surveying, high-definition scanning, landscape architecture, and consulting services to the private and public sector. They are committed to delivering timely, responsive, economical design solutions. For over 30 years, the engineering has thrived in establishing personal relationships and providing quality designs to their clients. They immerse themselves in each project and become a part of the team. To thoroughly understand the customer's vision, they care about the economics of their projects and, more importantly, the satisfaction of each customer. Project deadlines are an absolute and not a goal. And once again, we thank you for being able to share. Ray, you got all excited. Does that mean that we got the two-point conversion? No, uh, we made a critical stop. Ooh, critical. Oh, well, I'm glad we made it. So the two-point conversion failed? You know, I I, I, I normally go slant and throw it. I was like, I'm going to run it. And so I start to run to the right, and I see three Florida defensive people running straight towards me, and every one of the ends I discovered. So I was like, you know what? We'll just make it a 
Yeah. Now remember, Brett, we have to make this prediction. So yeah, you got some round covers, so you go do that. And while you do that, we're going to kick it around the blue So uh, we're talking Saints football and some good news. Congratulations to Taysom Hill, who while he is still an active player, uh, and he is still years away from an almost certain induction into the Hall of Fame, uh, he's going to have some gear currently represented up in Canton. Indeed. During the Chicago Bears game, Taysom Hill became the first person since Frank Gifford back in 1964 to record 10 rushing, passing, and receiving touchdowns in a career. Uh, because of that historic accomplishment, Canton, Ohio, requested some game-worn gear of Taysom's display. And I'm sure it was after much serious consideration uh, that he was happy to oblige. So, Jason Mill in the Hall of Fame-ish. Ish. Uh, and in other football news, for those of you wondering why your boy wasn't wearing his usual Saints garb. In case you didn't see it. Yes, indeed, the Voodoo Arena football team is coming back to the boat, baby. Yes. They're coming back with a new look, and it's not going to be this look, but I can still wear it in tribute. And the New Orleans Voodoo fans, like I was, uh, you're going to have to travel. They will not be the New Orleans Voodoo. They will be the Louisiana Voodoo. And uh, they will be playing their home games in Lake Charles, the son of Coliseum in Lake Charles Event Center. They plan on returning to the turf in the 2024 season yes. under head coach and former ULL Raging Cajun James Welcome back, Zulu. And we have to mention another team that has just uh, joined us in the state of Louisiana. I'm going to go with two aspects of this as this is taking place live. So we have had a great opportunity to form a relation with some of the players and staff members of the Baton Rouge Zydeco, and I'm not going to chase it, but I have to say it for this broadcast. Your Baton Rouge Zydeco are in the lead with three minutes to go in the third period. We will give an update in the show if it does take place, but they are currently on pace for the first ever victory against the Columbus River Dragons. First ever victory, period. First ever victory against. Period. Being against the Columbus River Dragons. Now, this team has had some uh, brief moments here in the first few games, trying to figure out how to be a team. You know, it's a little bit different with the minor league hockey system. A lot of guys got traded in the roster creation day of the first game. And uh, another thing that did happen, just to give you a quick side of note, Parker Moscow, their uh, lead player and uh, one they promoted the most uh, going into the season, has decided to step away from hockey and was formally released by the team. He will continue to work in their corporate office. So if you need tickets to Zydeco, please give Parker a call or you want to work with sponsorship, but Parker will no longer be on the ice this season. Just a little bit of an interesting uh, pathway, but, you know, everyone has their way. And uh, we wish him luck, of course, in his future career endeavors. Also, what was that? Is that indeed? indeed? Oh, indeed. Yes, absolutely. Now, um, someone else who also had a very strong day, that was your LSU basketball program. And let me just say that these Tigers are loaded up. They're getting ready 
for another great year. I'm going to pull up my notes real quick here. I want to make sure I give you the correct names of everybody that Kim Wolke, Coach Matt, and amongst others are able to come in with today. So the LSU Tigers, Kim Wolke, they brought in the number one prospect in ladies basketball. That is Jada Richard, a four-star, top 100 prospect out of Lafayette Christian. Hold on. Hold on. Go ahead. Hold on. She's out of Lafayette Christian. Lafayette Christian. She a local girl. Local. You were telling her name is not Jada Richard. It is not Jada Richard. It is Jada Richard. Are we sure about that? For now. Because I'm pretty sure. I'd have been the crawfish pot it was Jada Richard. It could be Richard, and if it is, I will take a uh, momentary flag on the Cajun card. Jada, do us a favor and weigh in. We need you to comment in whatever comment section you come to find this on. Yeah. Is it Richard? Is it Richard? Give us the pronunciation, because we're going to be saying your name a lot over the next couple yeah. years. We'll make sure we say it right. And again, I will happily take a red flag on the Cajun card if I did mispronounce it. My apologies, of course. But not only that, Coach Matt and Man on the men's side, who's currently unalterably winning those start this year, he brought in a little extra help for the following season. He went ahead and got us one of the premier prospects out of Texas from Pasadena Memorial High School in the Houston area, a 6'11 forward. That would be Robert Miller III. I'm sorry. That would actually be our guard. Make sure I get that correct. Um, no, he's he's a forward. He's just finished forward. He is forward. Okay. So In my forward. notes, he's forward. We're learning everybody here today. I normally have to pull up here. I uh, have everything cleared out for <laughs> this show. That's that's pronounced forward. That's forward live. Um, but yeah, overall, your Tigers are reloading, and not to mention we also had the softball team get a pretty big prospect. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm going to cut you off. You're just going to glaze over Mr. Miller like that. Go ahead and finish the call. Do you know who he is? I know who he is, but I'm going to say, I'll let you finish this call. He is a top 50 national recruit. You said that. I don't know who he is. He is second out of the state of Texas. You said that, but you didn't say the pedigree my boy comes from. His dad is former LSU defensive lineman. Robert Miller the second. His mama, Tiana McIver Miller, was a two lane basketball standout before making her name in the WNBA. This guy, Robert Miller the third, is another name we will be saying a lot here in this program. Absolutely correct. Now, now apologies, as you were. Oh, I'm sorry. But let me add one thing here that was not produced in the show notes, so bear with me here real quick before we get into our basketball segment. It would be remiss with the return of hockey to the state of Louisiana that we did not mention that one of our own has went ahead and joined the NHL for the first time ever. Former, former son of your Baton Rouge Kingfish head coach has now made the NHL and has scored the first goal for anybody from the state of Louisiana. The defenseman, and I'm going to give the best on the name, Mason Lahore. Like I said, born in Baton Rouge. Now, this is make some of you feel a little bit old, so bear with us. Born in January of 2001, 21, 22 years old, young man, 
But uh, yes, the defenseman on the Boston Bruins put in his first goal last night against my Dallas Stars, leading them to a defeat. But the Bruins did take the victory, um, and we have to give praise where that is because that is truly you know a almost hundred year organization there, the Boston Bruins. To be able to put your name up there for the state of Louisiana for the first time ever in that historic league, you got to get praise for this. So congratulations, Mason. Congratulations to the state of Louisiana. We now have a hockey score and a hockey player. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. All right. So is that everything that we need to kick around the boot? Everything to kick around the boot. So are we ready for just a little bit of a... Ready for the basketball bouncing boys. And All right, a little full court press here. On who's our ladies? Yeah, uh, yes, we will because I have a question for you. Okay, what the hell does happen to our defending national champion, number one ranked LSU girls basketball team in their season opener against number twenty Colorado? So they took an upset L, ninety two seventy eight. And here's here's what Coach Mulder said. I don't know if you heard this, and it shared it with me. She said, "Quote." I'm disappointed by some players that I thought would be tougher, but when you play a team that has that level of experience, I wasn't surprised. Now, were you surprised? Because I was surprised. I was so surprised. I was surprised in the final score, yes. I do think that that was a little bit... uh, It was 92-78. It was a 14-40 loss. Yes, uh, and they held that lead for a majority of the game. Should I have? Colorado Team. And I think that it was understood in Louisiana that Colorado was not a bad team, but Colorado was a very good team. A very they ranked. They are, yeah, they were 20th going into the game, uh, made the Sweet 16 last year, moving to Iowa. A great shirt runner up that we saw later in the year as the Tigers would defeat Iowa in the National Championship game. But that Colorado team had seven seniors. Most of them returning from that team, unlike LSU, which brought in seniors like Billy Van Lip, as well as other players that were transferred in, as well as some new freshmen who were getting starting minutes. So you had a lot of uh, loss from your national championship team. You also had a retooling of the way how the offense flows because Haley Van Lip compared, uh, commanded the team very different than Alexis Morris did last year. It's a bit of a different change in how the game is played. But you ultimately, with LSU, had a game that got out of hand, and it was their job, the players got in, to put the game back in hand. And I think Coach Mulkey realizes that that was going to be important to complete a team, to get a team on board and on the same page, is that if you want them to go through adversity later in the season, why take the adversity away from the beginning game? So it was an interesting choice on how Coach got it done, and ultimately it did lead in part to the loss, but we'll have to see what this team does on as they uh, now get a little bit of a lighter load on board. So they try to rebound against Queens tomorrow, November 9th at 7 p.m. I guess it's where they tomorrow. Rock the banner. You think? Uh, yes, the National Championship. Oh, they're dropping the National Championship. I got it. Yeah, yeah. We'll this is going to be in the P-Mac. In the P-Mac, first, back at home. So here's my final question to you. After that game against Colorado, yes or no, Cause for alarm. Colorado is not a cause for alarm. The team does have several opportunities going in uh, within the first month or so where they're going to have some very strong opponents. And I get that pulled up in this moment here for you. It'll come right up to me. 
Let's see. The match probably won production. Yeah, so the Tigers will face Virginia Tech a little bit further into the season, which is currently ranked number eight. So you'll have a chance to regain some of these wins as you go into uh, the season. You also have your second SEC game being your road test on January 7th against Ole Miss, who is currently right there on the cusp of the top 10. So overall, this team is going to see many more challenges. They have a very tough schedule ahead of them. And they're going to go through moments, I think, more than anything, where they just become a gel unit. You have a lot of players playing what I would call, frankly, out of their position as far as their minutes rotation. They play more than what they normally would, or they play more than what they will more than likely any point in the series game where you're going into the year. And that allowed them to just sort of test out who they are as a team. And Coach Mulkey, she has multiple rings. She has a statue of multiple, what will become multiple schools, as well as, of course, a Hall of Fame job in Florida Reason, as this was the Hall of Fame challenge out there in Las Vegas. Uh, I have no concerns with the LSU women's basketball team right now. They took multiple losses last year, and the thing is, we get a little bit defensive for LSU fans, I think, more than anything, because we know in college football, you lose one, you're in danger. You lose two, it might be over. Basketball, if you make the tournament, be it SEC, be it the NCAA, you're running for a championship. And this team should be in a running for both the SEC and the national championship. Make no mistake, this team is too talented to not. But they will make each other the team. I look forward to seeing how they get there. I look forward to seeing that as well. On the guys' side, the yeah. unranked LSU men's team had an outstanding performance in their season opener in a 106 to 60. 106 to 60, 46 point differential dismantling yes. of Mississippi Valley State. Nichols is next in the crosshairs on November 10th from the PMAC. What do we think about the guys' Tiger team? So this team is showing that they do have talent. The Madden team rebuild is only now in progress. This is not something where it's going to be, you know, another year of a team that you can't really expect to compete. This team is competitive. They may not be able to dominate teams yet, but they will stick around in many games. Part of that is due to their big hit this offseason. That is going to be seven-footer Will Baker, who put up 29 points against the Delta Devils in this game. He is not necessarily the most talented player on the court at any time, but his unique skill set allows him to operate as a major role player. That may he be. He is a, he's a large he And when you have that size against a lot of college teams that frankly max out at about a 6'8", six, 6'9", six, center, Sometimes you can win games just off that alone. But his skill set is unique, and it does allow him to take over a game in a way that this team has not had the ability to do since players like a Camille Digby-Williams or Johnny O'Brien III. If you haven't seen that size, it would be an impact. That's going to be a major play as the Tigers look to push towards, hopefully, some kind of a postseason bid this year, be it NIT, NCAA would be very nice, but it might be a little ambitious for this season. But so far, the Tigers are on their way to getting back into a competitive form. Do you see the Tigers breaking the top 25 this season? And if so, how long does it take? Breaking the top 25 would be a major accomplishment. Uh, you would certainly be handing that man all of his flowers very early. That would be very similar to what we saw from Brian Kelly last year. 
uh, a bit of a head start on the rebuild. LSU has the potential, if they get hot, to get into the top 25, which is really a bit... I don't know how they would do it, frankly. Right now, they're not receiving votes and power rankings put them anywhere from 80 to 60 in the nation, but I'll give you the pathway. Um, they're going to play Syracuse at the Carrier Dome on... That's, excuse me, that is actually going to be overseas. That, no, that is the Carrier Dome. I take that back. Now the JMA Wireless Dome. I want to make sure we get our sponsors correct here. We support Washington Food Sports Network. So they head up to Syracuse, New York, which is the gist of everything. That's going to be at the end of this month, November 28th. You take a victory there, and then you have Texas on the 16th of December. That's going to be at home in the PMAC at 11 a.m. If you take that combination of games, as well as your other Salford non-conference teams, and you open up the season with a ranked Texas A&M team, you're able to get that win on the road. You most certainly by the start of January would see these Tigers ranked in the top 25. But if they are to slip up in some of these major games, I think they can be competitive. Should you see the Tigers maybe go somewhere a little bit better than expected, 10 and 8, 11 and 7 in the SEC, they can also sneak into the top 25 at that point or be considered for an NCAA tournament game. That'd be exciting to see. Before we start sneaking into the pro ranks, any other collegiate basketball news? We have a little bit of collegiate basketball news. So it was not Coach Will Wade himself on the court, but it was his team, the McNeese State Cowboys, who headed up to Richmond, Virginia, to the Virginia Commonwealth University, and put, yes, bring back the general, who unleashed a major upset on a team that was far ahead of their league by many standards. They were able to put together a victory that has now put them in a position to have a quality win when it comes to tournament time. It's going to be a very competitive team. Coach Will Wade is still suspended for quite a few games. I believe currently it's uh, five or six more to go for him until he's able to get back on the court. But his roster that he's assembled and the sort of just overall mentality has led the Cowboys to getting a major road victory. And that's going to pay off when he comes down later into the postseason time. That's actually there's a lot to watch. A lot of college basketball. And let me tell you, we keep up with as much of it as we can here on the Blue Sport Network. And we are just getting started. Season's just getting underway. It's gonna be very exciting. Uh so also pro basketball season, the Pelicans, we are eight games in now. The Pelicans started four and one this season and now after a one twenty two to one oh one loss in Minnesota to the Timberwolves tonight, they have dropped to four and four. Uh, that now drops them to third in the Southwest standings. Uh, Houston is four and three, half a game ahead of them. And Dallas leads the standings currently in the Southwest at six and two. Uh, and this was a very difficult game for the Bells who went into this very much so, um, Oh, what's the word? I guess we could say short-handed. Yeah, that's fair. Um, lots of folks who should have been on the court, not there this time around. Yeah. Uh, you still have Jose Alvarado, who is out. He's rehabbing. He's free. He's going to be back soon, we hope. Uh, he was supposed to potentially be back as early as the season opener, and then 
complications kept pushing things back. And I think now we're somewhere in the ballpark of 10 days to two weeks. 10 days to two weeks, yeah. So, so he is still out. Then you've got CJ McCollum. He is going to be out for a little while. Yeah. Uh, he was reported back on the 5th to have suffered a small right collapsed lung. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like uh, after they've gotten a chance to investigate that further, that there were some perforations and things that led to it. Um, this is not the first time that C.J. McCollum has had to deal with something like that. He had an issue uh, similar to this back in 2021 when he was a Portland Trailblazer. caused yeah. him to miss almost six weeks, 18 games. C.J. was out. And I'll tell you what, it is a tough time to be without C.J. McCollum behind the arches. He was light them up. Yes, he was. And then uh, on top of it tonight, we were also without Zion. Uh, the Pels are reported earlier today that he was going to be out for quote unquote personal reasons. Uh, the presumption uh, throughout all the major media it has not been confirmed. The presumption was that it is for the birth of his child. Call uh, he is expecting a child, maybe no longer expecting, maybe he expected the child is here. Um, and there was that big to do about it. Mm-hmm. A lot of scandalous behavior in the offseason. But anyway, that's all behind him now. And if that was in fact the case, congrats to Zion, Mama, and you baby Williams. Um, but it, this is a tough spot for the Pels to be in right now. This was kind of sort of what happened last season. You saw them come off to an outstanding start. But they were like 11 and 1, 12 and 1. And suddenly the injury bug just came in and pop, pop, pop. They started dropping like flies, and it started falling back into the ranks of a mediocre team. This is one of those things where Pelicans started off four and one. They've now lost three straight. Their next matchup is against the Houston Rockets on the tenth. And as I mentioned, the Rockets are game are the team rather that is a half game in front of the Pels for second in the Southwest. So it's a very important game coming up, and now. Yes. We are in the um, the in-season tournament, which I'm still trying to figure out. Um, how they have written this thing makes no sense at all. Yeah. Um, but their next in-season tournament game is going to be against Dallas, who is first place in the division. Yes. Uh, and that is going to take place on the... They've got two games against Dallas. Only one of them is yeah. going to count. Because the in-season tournament games are only played on Tuesday and Friday. Mm-hmm. If if you're playing on any other day, it's not an in-season tournament. Uh, so while they will play Dallas twice next week, once on Sunday the 12th, and then Tuesday the 14th, both of those at the SKC, only Tuesday the 14th, will count towards uh, the in-tournament, the in-season tournament. Yes. So uh, not... to change the court in two days because of that. Yeah. Oh, they're going to be putting in work. They're putting in work. Yeah, but it's a, it is a very tough place for the Bells to be in right now. What do they need to do to turn things around if Zion maybe takes a paternity week, CJ's going to be out, Jose's not coming back? What do we do? So, I am not really too far down on this Pelicans team yet. This is not the worst Pelicans uh Losing slump I've seen from the Willie Green era from this team being in this configuration. What I'm seeing here is you have a game, and I'm going to go one back 
scoring position with the Nuggets. That game, we had the team get up to 20 point lead in the first half, John Williams and B.I. playing together. Now, what ended up happening was that in the second half, the game got away from him, and he ended up losing by almost 18 points to be exact. You see the game tonight against the T-Wolves, there was not much of anything ever going for Pelicans to end up taking the 21 point loss. So, you had Zion, then you had to lose Zion. Ultimately, the performance is still pretty consistent, a little bit better on defense tonight for the Pels. What I think more than anything you're looking at here is that once your role players start to return, you're still missing Trey Murphy. Hopefully, we're going to see him at the end of this month. You're still missing Jose Alvarado again sometime this month. If those two are playing, your second unit is going to be short up significantly, which is where these teams are getting their lead. Currently, right now, the Pelicans' worst quarter that they play specifically is the third quarter, which in NBA terms, for those of you who might be new to basketball, is predominantly the backup uh, quarter. They play at least usually half of the minutes in the third, usually, I stress. So, your second unit is hampered. And when that second unit comes back up to full strength, I think we're going to see the Pelicans improve holistically in the team. Now, ultimately, while they can improve holistically, they can continue to be 500 and, you know, be in the position to make play in tournament. What gets this team back to being in a top four seed, being in a playoff contender, a championship contender, is going to be the continued getting to know each other, the continued strategic development of Zion, CJ, and B.I. These players have played a combined 12 games together. It has been almost two full seasons. They've been teammates, and they've played 12 games together. But by the way, they're 8-4 in those games. So I'm still trusting this Pelicans team to be a contender at about a 60% win rate if those three are on the floor together. Right now, it is very early to say how CJ's recovery is doing based off of Pelicans PR. I'm going to call it at least three weeks. I don't want to say it'll be more. But right now, I'm thinking at least three. So, by the end of this month, and if the Pelicans can more or less just keep it about 500 for the rest of November, you have December later to get back in the full win, win now mode. And that's what this franchise is tool for. It's not very spoken about because of obviously the many letdowns that Pelicans fans like myself have dealt with over the past decade, be it due to injury or due to whatever else is going on. Ultimately, if B.I., C.J., and Zion are playing together, as this season winds down, getting up to the all-star breaking after, this is going to be a playoff team. It's going to be a scary playoff team. But if those three aren't playing together, it's going to be about what you've seen the past few years, which is going to be a very tough-nosed, scrappy 500 team that has to fight to get into a playoff series. I'm hoping CJ recovers as quickly as possible. This so far looks better than his one in Portland. That's the that's what we're seeing from medical, is that it looks better than what he had in Portland. So we hope to see three to four weeks. If he has to wait longer to get it fully healed, please do. But Zion, you know, if, if, if he misses two games, he misses two games. Being a dad, particularly I'm sure you can mention this, you know, your first one. Very big moment for you uh, in a oh, yeah. person's life. So 
you know, good on you, Zion. Hope you fully enjoy that moment. And uh, whenever he comes back, I, I think you're going to see, you know, Father Zion is going to be an entirely different animal. Uh, get ready to show out for the uh, newborn child. So, uh, if that is the case, of course. Okay. This is, again, this is all based on the presumption. We hope that's the case. We hope that it's not something, uh, less positive. And if, if it is, for whatever reason, push our thoughts and prayers go out to Zion and his family. Yeah. But, um, getting back to basketball tonight was a very atypical game for the Pelicans. Of your usual starters, uh, you only saw Brandon Ingram and Jonas Allen shoes start this. Mm-hmm. Uh, other starters was, uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Uh, you also had Hawkins and Daniels. Hawkins up. I should mention that is a big price spot on this team. Has been today, not necessarily so much the case. In 30 minutes, 14 points, four of 11, uh, from fields, two for five from behind the arc. Uh, the Pels, their one shining light was they were exceptional from the line. Yes. 95.5%, 21 from 22. Otherwise, everybody just seemed off today. And you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Hopefully, it's just team excitement for Zion. Yeah. Maybe. And that's maybe me just looking for an excuse. <laughs> but whatever. The overall shooting percentage from the field for the Dallas tonight 38.7, 28.6 from three point land. Um, you saw Larry Nance play. He was in there for 18 minutes. Matt Ryan was in there. EJ Riddell was there. Kyra Lewis did not see any Herb Jones today. Herb yeah. Jones. Yeah. He was, uh, he had a brief contusion from the last game against the Nuggets. I think they decided to let him get some rest tonight, which, you know, good. Herb needs it. Uh, they don't want him being banged up too long, particularly when it comes to the soft issue. So it's a tough night. You've got, you're playing the majority of your bench and you're not shooting well, but you still put up over 100 points against Minnesota, who now advances to five and two and they are five and oh at home. So yeah, not necessarily a pause for alarm yet. And as we mentioned, the next opportunity for the Pels to bounce back, uh, that is coming up right around the corner. They get the Houston Rockets. Who are half game ahead of them on November 10th. That's going to be in Houston. Best of luck to them then. Absolutely. All right. That is a look at our full court press. We're going to come back to take a look at how we did in the last week's predictions. And hopefully, producer Brett is close to finishing up his simulation. So, well, I can tell you now something that did not work. Well, hold on. Oh, hold on, we're not we're not quite there yet, are we? Oh, I'm not I'm talking about the. I know we're talking about Zydeco. The Baton Rouge Zydeco have claimed their first victory five to four in the Riverside. First win in the win column. Congratulations, Zydeco! And shout out to Joseph Ricardo because I know it was an exciting yeah. day for him as well. The Zydeco put a dub in the win column. Love that. Love that. Congratulations, Zydeco. We're with you. Keep it up. All right, before we look back on last week's action, one last bill to pay. No self-respecting sports fan likes to play on ugly turf, which is why I and so many others trust my lawn care to Fleur de Green lawn and landscaping. Chris and the crew at Fleur de Green do so much more than mow lawns, which I can tell you some first-hand experience. They do do very well. 
But they can also help with landscaping installation, plant and garden maintenance, drainage, irrigation installs, and repairs, paystone patios, fences, and much, much more. For example, with that word, check them out on Facebook at Fleur de Green Lawn and Landscape, or for more information, call Fleur de Green at 504 240 8044. That's 504 240 8044. Or email fbglandscape at gmail.com. That's fbglandscape at gmail.com. Tell them that I, old David Storm sent you. Flirt Green Lawn and Landscape. They love what they do, and you will too. I do. All right, Doug, you ready to look back? Let's take a look back. Let's take a look back. 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 Yeah. We had six games on the slate last week. We start with LaTeX versus Liberty, 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 Liberty. And we both knew that uh, Liberty was going to run away with this. Uh, LaTeX, as much as we love them, did not stand a chance. I thought Liberty was going to go over 38-21. You thought it was going to be a higher scoring game. You said 45-41. to the final, 56 to 30. I was off by 27. You were off by 22. Ding for Dom. There we go. And now things change. Oh. Nichols versus Incarnate Word. UIW on paper should have beat the tar out of Nichols, but yes. I, I told you I was smelling it upset cooking down there mm-hmm. in Thibodeau. And it happens. Nichols wins 45-32. to 32. I win this one by virtue of picking the right team. I picked Nichols to win this one. You picked UIW. If you had picked Nichols with your score of 33-30, you were off by 14. You were to take in the game. My 27-20 prediction was off by 30. All I needed to do was pick the right team. So, bing, one and one. And shout out to Nichols beating the number four team in the country in the FCS ranks. Major win put themselves in the first place in the uh, South. There. Yeah, they did. Wait, we're, we're predicting another Nichols game this week. Yes, we are. What? I'm very oh, curious to start that face is all about. He was in. That was Dorfman. Sorry. Whoa, Whoa sir. Walk your legs. So, well, wait. Watson's like, oh. No, no, no. You know we can't see that, right? It's nothing but glare on our Zoom in. I see what love. I, I can tell. tell. That might be the first F bomb on the show. Wow. All right. Well, you take a moment, knock that out, and uh, we're going to continue on with our segment, and then we'll let you let us know what happens when we get right. to uh, looking ahead. McNeese versus Southeastern. Never mind. Uh, I freaked out for nothing. It actually did count the score that I thought it didn't count, and I'm an idiot. Yeah, we know. But we love you anyway. Cruiser breast, first ball. McNeese. <laughs> McNeese versus. Can we continue with the show? Are you good with that? No. Okay, thank you. McNeese versus Southeastern. Uh, this was another one of those games where uh, yeah. we disagreed. I thought Southeastern was going to win 31-21. Neither program mm-hmm. doing very well. McNeese mm-hmm. looking for their first win. You thought they were going to get it, 27-20. The score was 38-24. to Southeastern. Lying up. Yeah. I was off by 10 and picked the right team, so that's two dings for Dave. Uno for the Dom. Moving on to Tulane versus East Kakalaki. East Kakalaki. 
talking about that one, that one surprised the hell out of both of us. Yeah, that was... Thir- uh, mm-hmm. 13 to 10, Tulane was the final. We both expected a very much higher scoring game. You thought that Tulane was going to sneak out a closer one, 39 to 30, a little more high scoring. I thought Tulane was going to handle things a little bit more handily, 38 to 13. We both picked the right school. Mine was closer. You were off by 46, 39 yeah. to 30. To 30. <laughs> it was I, was, I was off by 28. So uh, 38 to 13 there. So that's three dings for me. Uno for Don Juan. Hurt me. Hurt me real bad. That's all right. We still got two more games to go. We could even things up. We could. LSU versus Abilama. We had some, uh, we had some predictions from outside the program yes, on this one. Charlotte Hall jumped in, one of our users. She predicted, mm-hmm. uh, LSU was going to win 49 to 35. It was 42 28. Who knows to her? She was off 14. Yeah. She was not as close as, uh, some of our other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was second closest actually. So yeah, she did that. very well with that prediction. We all, by the way, picked LSU, so we were all wrong. So this is going to go off to point differentials. Uh, Brett said, the brain of Brett, LSU 54 to 45. Uh, he was hoping that we would be much more higher scoring. He was off by 25 in that one. His NCAA prediction was off by 27, where LSU dominated in 137-6. Donald, you said LSU 45 to 44. That I did. There were only 17 points off. Could have. You, by the way, were 17 points off of the, uh, the total score there. So, uh, close, but no. no. David said 34 31 was off by 11. Bing! Four to one. And the lead increases. And we move on to our final game of the week, Saints Bears. And this was a game. That uh, the prediction of the game, you riled me up on this one. You riled me up. You remember what you did, Donald? I think I do. Tell him what I did. I predicted the Saints would win 34 to 13. Mm -hmm. Donald said, I also think the Saints will win 33 to 13. One damn point. Yep. One damn point. What happened? If. If the Saints would have scored 34 or more points, I'd have won that one. But because it was a lower scoring game, 24-17, Donald takes the ding on that. He was 13 points off. I was 14 points off. So, ding. Coming for a championship. I'm going to let yours, uh, I'm going to let yours stay, but you need to know that you got beat on that Saints Bears prediction by user Charlotte Hall, who threw it's in another good. one. Charlotte said 28-10, Nola. Uh, again, the final was 24-17. She was only off by 11. So kudos to Charlotte. Charlotte. Charlotte, not too bad at this whole you, prediction. You can get, you can get your uh, predictions highlighted here on the show, too. Put, drop in the comments. Correct. However you're listening, make sure that you put them in the comments. Or just head on over to bootsportsnetwork.com, and you can message us, leave comments That's there. Right. Well. right in the top one. So this week... Uh, the breakdown, I went four of six. Donald, you went two of six. Brett was O of two. The weekly tallies overall, Brett is now seven of 30. You're doing fantastic. Wow. Keep up the good work, champ. Yeah. Donald, you are 23 of 57. I am 29 of 57. 
still got a couple more weeks to go with college football, so it is not out of reach just yet. And we have another six games on the slate for this weekend. You ready to get into them? I think it's time to get into it. Let's get into them. We're going to start with Southern versus Prairie View. Four or five. And Brett, if there's any of these games that you want to call to try to see if you can improve your... uh, Or not. He's gone. Yeah, he's gone. It's the four, he said, no, no. The four and five Prairie View Panthers, they come to the capital city to face the five and four Southern Jaguars. There is a lot on the line in this one. Yeah. Prairie View wins and current SWAC West front runner Alcorn loses Ooh. by virtue of a tiebreaker win. Prairie View can jump to first place in the West. A win for the Jaguars keeps them in a solid second place with a little more work to do. Thanks to a 44-21 loss to Alcorn last week. Both teams four and two in SWAC play, and these teams look relatively evenly matched statistically. Prairie View has lost three of their last five. Southern has won three of their last five. To have a chance to win this one, Southern's going to have to protect the ball. Jaguars quarterback Harold Blood has thrown 11 interceptions this year so far against only 12 touchdowns. Despite it all, I feel like Southern will be better prepared, better motivated, and they do know how to win big as well as how to win close. This one, I think, is going to lean more towards the close, but I'm going to give the slight edge to the Jags. I'm picking Southern 27-21. And that is not a bad prediction at all. And Thank you. Look, as I look at this team, Southern, what they've done this year, this is a team that is relying on a strong defense. And their victories, they've allowed no more than 18 points from the opposition, one time holding Arkansas behind bluff. Two zero points, big old goose egg. This is the last game before the game for the Jaguars, the Bayou Classic, as they will go on by next week. I think it would mean a lot to the program, to this coaching administration, who's trying to cement themselves that they can produce some of the same results that the former coach Dawson Odoms put up in his tenure as a Southern coach here. And look, I'm not going to tell you that Southern is going to take this thing with a margin of victory. It's going to blow your head off, but they're a low scoring team and they're a team that knows how to take victory in extra time when it's needed. So look, I hate to do this to you, Dave. You know, I, hey, I got to do it. I, 27 24 Jaguars beat the Panthers at home in overtime. Come on, Jaguars defense. Keep them under 21. Oh, just one overtime. It's not that serious. Defense is going to stop. All right. Here we go. Moving right along. Nichols Lamar. Yes. Nichols is doing everything right right now. They have lost four games this season, and their record is 4-4, and not including the forfeit victory over Northwestern. Yes. But so what? All of their losses have been out of conference and all of their wins are in conference. They are five and oh in the Southland. And after that upset win over Incarnate Word, the Colonels are top of the standings. There's two games left on the schedule for Nichols. They close out against Southeastern next week. This week they have Lamar, who might actually challenge them. Lamar is only five and four on the year, just like Nichols, but they're one game back, four and one in Southland play. A loss here by the Colonels creates a very interesting scenario in the Southland Conference, 
with three teams potentially at five and one in the conference after the weekend. Nichols, who would have lost to Lamar, but beaten UIW. Then UIW, who has beat Lamar, but lost to Nichols. And then Lamar. Don't give yourself a headache trying to understand it. I uh, I don't know that I think it's going to happen. Mm. Including a four-point loss to Southeast Missouri, Nichols has won five of their last six. They're playing the right way at the right time with an easy Southeastern team to end the season where they reclaim the Southland Conference champions. I hate to go against my alums, but I see another good day on the Bayou Shack. Give me Nichols, 31-20. And look, Nichols has turned this season into something that, you know, uh, for a quick minute, it looked like it was going to be going in the entire opposite direction. Now, I'm going to mention something for our FCS audience. A lot of you may not be following the FCS. You may be traditional larger football team fans. Let me tell you a little something real quick about how the FCS works. The FCS uses a full playoff, not like the big boys of college football. These are 14 playoff. They use a full about 20 team playoff usually. So what this means is that each conference, much like in basketball, baseball, gets an automatic qualifier to this tournament. And right now, the Southland Conference is not exactly very strong. You had Incarnate Word, who was number four in the country last week. And right now, after their loss, they've now dropped down to about 10th, and Nichols is receiving votes. So what this means in layman's terms is that there will not be an at-large bid available for the Southland Conference. The person who wins, or team, I should say, who wins the conference goes to the playoffs. Nichols is in the lead. Nichols is playing the team that is currently tied for second with Incarnate Word. That means if Nichols beats Lamar, Nichols is basically guaranteed a playoff spot unless some really crazy stuff goes down. So with that, I have to say Nichols is going to do their job. They're going to put the work in. I'm taking the Colonels to win 28-21. to I'll tell you what, you like my predictions, don't you? Just a little bit. This sitting, a bit. sitting close. I like it. I ain't mad at it. Bring it on. Bring That's it right. on. Except this time I'm going to let you go first. Oh, of course. <laughs> so this game. So have... so you want to do the analysis? Oh, I'll do the analysis. I'll do the whole thing. All right. Southeastern Texas A&M Commerce. Go ahead on with your bad self. Oh, this week we have the defending Southland Conference champions, Southeastern Lions, who are going Hold to. Hold on. Stop, up. stop, stop, stop. I have decided. I would like to make my prediction first. Go ahead. Yeah. And I'm willing to bet any one of you on this prediction mm. right now. If you want to bet I Southeastern versus Texas A&M Commerce. Texas A&M Commerce. I can tell you with 100% certainty. 100% certainty. I would bet the house. Mm. I will do a million sit-ups if I lose. The only way I want to say that. The Lions will win. Oh. I'm going to let it sit. I'm going to let it sit for a second. I'm going to let it sit. Because, because no. Brett is about to take the bait. I'll, I'll do it short. I think the Lions are going to win. Probably different NSUs. Oh, wait. Yeah. 
There's a timer up here. Oh, oh no, no, let him take all the time he wants. Yeah, yeah. Because the last time, the last time he took a bet on the air. I'm gonna be real with you. This is like a horrible football team. I don't take that bet. I mean, Brett. Do you want to bet against the Lions, Brett? Brett, I said it was a hundred percent guaranteed that the Lions were going to win. That's yeah, what I said, right? I Southeastern Lions, yes. Yeah. What's the mascot for Texas A&M Commerce? They didn't have one on Google. They're that bad. They're also the Lions. <laughs> There's no way the Lions could lose. There's absolutely no way the Lions could lose. It's very smart of you not to take that bet. All right, now that we've been through that, yes. Donald, if you would like to continue with your analysis. Yes, Um. so Southeastern is going to head over to Texas A&M Commerce to uh, deal with yet another situation where the team is trying to get a foothold, the team is trying to gain momentum, to put something together of what's been a very rough season, However, I personally do not see it going over too well for the Southeastern. But they're going to get a victory. I have the Southeastern Lions winning 41 to 35. 41 35. It's shootout. High score. Yeah, these teams that don't play good defense, they like to just have a little fun on these kind of days. So this is what happens. This is what happens when Donald makes predictions first instead of having mine to go off of. Mm -hmm. We vary a bit. Just a touch. So you just heard me talk about how Southeastern would be an easy team for Nichols to end the season because statistically they're just not good. Yeah. Southeastern is two and seven on the year. And one of those was an actual win over a very mentally defeated Northwestern team. Yes. But you know who's even ungooder? Who is that? Texas A&M Commerce. Yeah, they're pretty bad. Their only win of the season came against McNeese, who'd find a way to lose, uh, to, who'd find a way to lose a contest uh, that they would be guaranteed winners in. Yeah, the Lions better late than never. The Southeastern Lions—they are putting it together. They've won their last two, whereas Texas Commerce has lost their last four. I see the streaks continuing for all involved. Lions Southeastern wins and extends. Texas A&M Commerce loses and extends. Line up one more time, throwing that L twice in the same episode. Southeastern, 31. Texas A&M Commerce, 13. Oh, big difference there in the score. We'll see how that plays out. Look forward to that. Indeed. Indeed, indeed. Tulane, Tulsa. You want to go first or you want me to go first? Oh, you can have a job back. <laughs> All right. I want to start this one off by saying that it should 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 be an easy week for Tulane as the eight one Green Wave leaders of the AAC host the three and six Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Just one Golden Just Hurricane. One, one hurricane. Uh, but I made that mistake last week too. From a statistical standpoint, this is going to be Tulane's last easy game before their final two challenges really test their medal and see if the Wave have what it takes to repeat as AAC champs. The books consider Tulane a 23-point favorite in this one. The way their D has been playing lately, while I'd really love to see it, I think that is highly unlikely. 
Tulane has won their last three games by a combined 12 points, 22 if you count their last four. If Tulane doesn't win by at least two touchdowns here, I don't know how they get by UTSA for the conference title in the season finale. I am giving Tulane two touchdowns, 38-24, green wave. See, you and I aren't too far off today, but I'm going to tell it to you in a little bit of a different way. So you look at Tulsa, the Golden Hurricane. They used script to spell out Tulsa. Script is five letters. However, Tulsa is five letters. Tulane, that's less. That's five to six. T-U-L-A-N-E. Tulane does not use scripts. They're organic. They win the game through their own passion, their own playmaking, their own brain power. It's no script there. So what that tells me is that we're going to see Tulane put up six touchdowns in this game. You can do the math there for a friend. That is going to be 41 missed looks extra points. Tulsa, five scores total are going to go three field goals. Two touchdowns, nine plus two point converted. It's going to be 41 to 26. Tulane wins. You said five scores for yeah. Tulsa. Nine plus 14. 14 is 23. Yeah, but there's going to be some funny business on there. Two so, point conversions, so, things of the sort. All right, so 41 26 is where you're going. That's where I'm going. Okay. Now, be out of here. So it's a low-scoring game, I win. If it's a high-scoring game, you win. Sounds like it. All right. I like it. LSU, Florida. Brett, we talked about this one a couple weeks back. We were talking about what, prior to Bama, was LSU's longest-touted rivalry. Outside of Tulane, the Florida-LSU rivalry dates back to 1936, Mm. nearing 100 years on that rivalry. So, oh, please. So, Dave, uh, I actually met him when I was in high school at Mandeville High. And I do not know if you ever had the honor of the last Borger special. Uh, I've been <laughs> uh, 17FU. Anyway, um, oh, okay. About to get ourselves a LifeLock sponsorship. No, here, um, all boot sports fans, if you can in the comments, we would like to know. What are the last four digits of your social security number? The six no, we're not. Of your card number, Just hold the down the beat button and hold your billing address and the three <laughs> numbers on the back. Anyway. We forgot mother's maiden name and name of your first pet. Those as well. Anyway. Don't do it. Don't do it. Please don't. Uh, please don't. to me at Brent at Bruno. Um, no, no, no. Serious, uh, Mr. Combs. Was a great uh, teacher at Manville High. Uh, one of my heroes. It, Seth, there's a big problem with him. The character oh. has missed the room. That was, as much as my room is LSU, his was Florida. And every year, all we heard all week long in the fall is how trash LSU is compared to Florida and how the real rival is Florida. Mm-hmm. And legends before me, when my brother was in high school, some uh, Mandeville High kids, when they when they lost in 2011, I want to say, found a mm-hmm. gator and put it in front of his door. 
But I wasn't going to do that because, hey, I don't even know how you'd go about doing that. But um, I woke up, this is 2013, maybe 2014. It would have been 2014. We beat Florida. And I woke up 4 a.m. And I didn't have a car time, so I'd do this all via bike. I biked to about 20, maybe 30 different newsstands. Got all those newspapers. Biked to Manville from Massimo. And in my backpack, I had a... Looking like a 1960s paper boy. Yes. But in my backpack, um, I traveled up and stuck into it because it wouldn't fit out like I had this big carpet. I really wish I knew what happened to it. I had a carpet in my bathroom that was like the LSU field uh, with the yeah. the tiger in the middle. And yeah. I had these car flags that won at all these games. Because um, you know how they give those free things out. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there was like four or five big windows on this room. And I'll put pictures of this uh, in post, but I put so many newspapers across all the windows showing the LSU victory with duct tape that you couldn't see outside the, his room. You could only see LSU be like crocodile tears and whatever it said. Then I put the, um, in front of his door, like a welcome mat, the LSU, uh, rug. And then I duct taped the flags. All over the walls, because this is one of those like um outdoor portable building, portable classroom buildings. So yep. I duct taped all the uh um flags, and um needless to say, by the time I had him in sixth period, the flags in the rug was in the garbage can, which I had to awkwardly fish out post school, but um, it was glorious. Did he know that it was you? Did he find out before just now that it was you? Um, I think he did, but I also think that he didn't want to get me in trouble because, wait for this guy, he taught me uh, world geography and American history, and I'll make this quick so we can get off with the show, but I remember I had world geography freshman year of high school and junior year of high school. My name is Robles. Many teachers find that hard to pronounce. They would say, he said, Mr. Robles. I know how to pronounce that. You must have left an impression on me. And then later in the year in American history, uh, if anyone who doesn't know, I'm a very big history buff. Um, the, way, no. the way class would work is you'd say, what is the answer to insert question here? I'd raise my hand. And he'd literally always say the exact same line. Sometimes even when I did raise my hand. Anyone who's not Brett. And then yes. you go, okay, <laughs> Brett, can you tell the class? So we were a we little Farkle Minkus. You, I don't. Mm. I, he ended up retiring that year. Me and my friends bought him a watch. I, I bet so. You destroyed his ego. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but also last anecdote about this Florida fan on the sports show. He gave me my first beer because uh, after we he retired my senior year of high school, me and some of his former students were like, "Yo, let's go visit this guy because he was just a cool teacher because he was in the CIA and worked in the White House and all sorts of crazy stuff. And uh, we uh, found his uh, address in the Yellow Pages. And shout out to Buttercrisp Donuts in Covington, Louisiana. He always ranted how much he loved Buttercrisp Donuts. We got Buttercrisp Donuts. We show up to his door and we're like, hey, can we just ask you random questions? Dude's like, 
come in. And then he's like, y'all boys want a beer? And we're like, yeah. Yeah. And for the sake of legality and so not to ruin this man's life, you were all 21 and over, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not when I was 17 in 2015. No, this was in 2021-ish when I was much, much older. But shout out to John Lee Combs. But I do have to apologize to you because Florida is trash and they're going to get destroyed. I would like to Are take a moment to give your prediction. Yeah, I would like to take a moment to quote Homer Simpson and say, you take forever to say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> we just, we just heard great stories that have absolutely very little to do about football. LSU, Florida, do you, I know you have at least a simulation. Can we get uh, the results of the simulation? Yes, I have a heart attack. Um, we know it happened yeah. live on air. Into the half, it was 28 to 6. Florida. Do you Man, you wanna, suck. Do you want to guess what the final score was first? No. I'm I'm going to guess it probably was like 29 to 28. 36 to 35. Wow. And the reason I freaked out was when I went to the last two-point conversion, I ran it in with Jaden, and then he fell to the floor with, with the ball right behind the line, and it showed the final score before the thing. Yeah. And so I was like, it was in. I would. Except then after it did the little highlights reel, it said the final score was me winning. So I was like, oh. How about that? Anyway. Well, good for you. Do you have a Brain of Brett call for this one or no? Yeah. Um, Brain of Brett, I'm going to say 42 to um, 17 else. Our? Billy Napier um, will back down. Uh, and and <laughs> these things I've been scratching myself with are a <clears throat> claws of an alligator that I chopped off in 2021 because every Florida home game, we cook a gator. That's why there's that gator head right there that was piked on a stick right above the revelry crocodile tears. And we will be cooking a gator this weekend. Nice. Very nice. Donald, do we need to break this one down? I think I think Brett gave us more than we could ever ask for. All right. So let's just jump into predictions. You want to go yeah. first? You want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first here. I think uh, Jaden, if he is playing at full capacity, you're going to see a great performance and a comeback uh, situation here. Uh, the Tigers are on their last leg. If they wish to get in any competitive or meaningful bowl game, this is where it's going to have to happen. Uh, ultimately, you don't want your second best quarterback ever for the Tigers to end up in a back-to-back Citrus Bowl uh, invite. Jaden puts it on his uh, back this week and takes the Tigers to victory. I have uh, LSU at 45, Sunbelt Billy's Gators at 18. I like this time around that you went first and we're still relatively close. Yes. Because um, my prediction is based on the answer to one question, and that is how ready will Jaden Daniels be? And it's going to take us a little while before we figure exactly that out. But he does still have a lot to play for, even if there's not much that there can be for the team other than just trying to get into a better bowl game. uh, He still has a lot personally to play for. But how ready is our banged up defense going to be? What Tiger team is going to show up to face a Florida team that has nothing to lose and everything to gain from this game? It is going to be, uh, it's it's going to be a special one. 
But I'm picking LSU 41 24. Okay. That's where I'm at. I like that one. We're uh, we're pretty close. Brett, 42 to 17. What's that? No. No. Nobody Uh, expects him to beat LSU. So, to be fair with you, though, if Napier loses this game, they're probably not making a bowl. They next have Missouri and Florida State. Dear God help. Sunbelt. I think they're going to beat Florida State. That's one of those weird games. All right. Last game of the week. Saints-Vikings. As I mentioned earlier, the Saints are going to have a very interesting task to undertake this Sunday in Minnesota. The NFC South leading Saints head to take on a team that we have a very storied history with. Yes, we do. Up until recently, they were one of my guaranteed six losses on the season. When I said 11-6, I thought Minnesota was going to be one of the six. However... I have no idea what Vikings team we're going to be playing now. Look, Kirk Cousins is on IR, out for the season with a torn right Achilles. Backup quarterback Jaron Hall is ruled out for this game on concussion protocols after last week versus Atlanta. Nick Mullins is their next injured quarterback who could potentially be designated to return this week. But the likely starter for Minnesota is going to be Josh Dobbs, who the Vikings got in trade just before last week's game. The kid was supposed to be the emergency quarterback, but came in when Jaron Hall got knocked out. He barely knew the playbook, still led Minnesota to a 31-28 victory over Atlanta, mostly by himself rushing the ball. He was the Vikings' rushing leader with 66 yards, one touchdown on seven carries. Scrambling quarterbacks are things that the Saints defense has had issues with as of late. This does not bode well for us. Mm Mm-hmm. The Vikings will also likely be without star wide receiver Justin Jefferson, who's been on IR rehabbing a hamstring injury. He could return this week, but Coach Kevin O'Connell was reported as saying he thinks that that would be a little aggressive. And the Vikings also placed running back Cam Akers on IR Wednesday due to his Achilles injury. So this really honestly could be anyone's game. Even the books don't know where they want to go with this one. Uh, according to the sports books, the Saints are two and a half point favorites. The ESPN analytics gives the Vikings a 49.9% chance of winning versus a 49.7% chance for the Saints, which doesn't even add up. Yep. So after some very deep consideration, I have made my prediction. You want me to go first or you want to go first? You can go first. I'm going to give the Saints the edge by virtue of their defense. If they can control a very depleted Viking offense and get their own offense going, I think the Saints can come out of Minnesota with a very important win ahead of facing the Falcons in Atlanta as their next opponents. I'm picking the Saints in another close, ugly game that's going to get lots of complaints from the fickle Saints nation. But it's going to be a dub. New Orleans, 27 23. So I might get a little bit of uh, eyebrows here on this one, but I'll accept it. Uh, look, the Saints are a better scoring team on the road. Don't know why. True. But it is the facts of the matter this season. The Saints are statistically slightly worse on the road. Slightly. 
Ultimately, I think if you don't see Justin Jefferson play, although he was limited in practice this uh, yesterday, so you know we'll see what happens. I'm not going to say that he plays or he doesn't. He's on my fantasy team. I don't anticipate him to play. What I can tell you is, is that I anticipate the Saints to go out there. I think that they learn from the mistakes made against Chicago. Although it did result in a victory, I think this is a unique moment for the Saints. And as much as it is kind of a head-scratcher, I think you're going to see the Saints on their first three-game win streak this uh, season. I have the Saints winning 34-27. Uh, to 27. Uh, You know, you always hate to wonder what could happen in Minneapolis, but uh, Saints have some business to correct. It's been a couple rough games against the Vikings over the past few years. And a little bit of uh, revenge might be on the mind for some of those who have been around for quite a while. I would not be mad at it. Brett, you want to weigh in on this? I don't know enough about the NFL. I don't feel like doing more push-ups. <laughs> I, I, I just was asking if you wanted to weigh in. I wasn't trying to challenge you. But I respect your fear now. Yes. Yes. He is uh, respectful of the match. All right. For all of you guys who have stuck yeah. with us throughout this episode, uh, we did. We had a lot to cover. We appreciate you still being a part of it. If you've got predictions and you want to add them to ours, see how you stack up against us like Charlotte did. She did pretty well. Uh, you can. And we encourage you to leave yeah. comments, drop predictions, whatever you want to do. Just please be a part of the show. We love uh, getting a chance to interact with all of you. You can watch or interact with us on YouTube. You can take the audio-only version of the podcast wherever you go on services like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music. The easiest thing to remember and tell all your friends. All of them. Not just one or two. All of your friends. Tell them all. Bootsportsnetwork.com. That is your front row VIP ticket to Boots to Balls and all things boot sports. It's where you can leave those comments. You got questions for us? Go ahead and ask them. You can even leave your predictions right there. You can find us in all your preferred podcast arenas. No matter where or how you listen, make sure to like and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And don't forget to follow us on all of your favorite social media channels. They are all in the ticker right down there at the bottom of the screen. So whether you're on Facebook or Instagram or X or TikTok, we're there. We're on all of them. Make sure that you're there with us. Hope that you guys have a fantastically wonderful, great boot sports weekend. And we look forward, I do believe, I do believe next week we will be back in, uh, in the capital city at Echo Tango. And, uh, we may even be live next week. Producer Brett, yay, nay. 100% sure. 100% sure we will be live. So we'll be taking your comments and predictions live during the show. So make sure that you're definitely following us on social media. That way you'll know when the next show airs. We look forward to it. We'll see you then on behalf of producer Brett and the Don Ronald, Donald Dunn. I am David Storm wishing you all a very great weekend. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Boots. Chop Balls. Thanks, everybody.